Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Let's take a look at what's happening on the federal election campaign trails. It looks like the liberals have lost that lead they held over the conservatives in this second week. A new poll is out today. It was done exclusively for Global News and Ipsos's Daryl Bricker Ipsos CEO Daryl Bricker is joining us now to talk about some surprising numbers. Daryl, thanks so much for being with us. Well, thanks for having me on, Joe. So these are interesting findings and I think really go to that idea that campaigns, in fact, do matter. Because what are we looking at now when we look at popularity and where the parties sit? Well, we're basically looking at a tie um, among the two major parties, the Conservatives and Liberals, uh, in the national election which isn't really a tie because we have the Conservatives ahead by four points in Ontario. And the Conservatives are ahead by four points in Ontario. That probably means they're going to pick up a bunch of seats in the 905 and are, are looking at the moment uh, as good, if not better, than the Liberals do. Which is important, and I know we often talk about how here in BC we feel a little bit forgotten, but it is important, especially in, in these early days, to look at what's happening Ontario, in Ontario as that can be a huge deciding factor. It very much can, but B.C. is probably, if these numbers hold up, where the election will be decided again. And what we see there is a close three-party race with the Conservatives moving a little bit ahead of the Liberals. What do you think it is? Is it the the campaign so far, is it lack of a reason as to why we're having this election in the first place? Or when we look at what's happened, did the poll give you any idea as to why it is we're seeing this shift? Well, the first thing is that people didn't want to have this election, and the, and the Prime Minister hasn't really been able to uh, stoke the interest of the public in what he asked for on uh, the day he called it, which was their vote. They, don't, they basically don't see it that way. They see this see the election as a bit of a ploy to uh, uh, for the Liberals to get a majority, and they're not they're not happy to be dragged into that given the circumstances that we're in. And as a result, since the beginning of the campaign, when the Liberals should have had a pretty good sprint and a good lead. Over the other two parties, they've stumbled repeatedly through the course of this first week. And when we look at that being the overall kind of pulse of people, what about when we look at the actual approval ratings of the leaders? Well, uh, what we see with the leaders is that none of the leaders, Jagmeet Singh is the only one that really has a a reasonable um, uh, level of uh, approval from the Canadian population. Justin Trudeau's definitely down, and so is uh, is Andrew Scheer. They're not seen particularly positively, but the difference between Scheer or sorry Scheer O'Toole, I mean, and and um, and uh, Justin Trudeau is that Justin Trudeau's negatives have been going up through the course of the campaign, and Aaron O'Toole's basically stayed flat. So um, in this instance, what's happened is that the longer we campaign, the worse the prime minister's approval levels are getting. Hmm. The, one of the interesting findings I found in this as well, where you were you were asking people uh, about that very issue, who they would vote for, who were they who they were leaning towards voting for, and the finding that Canadians and maybe you can break this down by age or to, or there's a more clear picture by age, but Canadians becoming more open to the idea of voting Conservative or voting New Democrat. Yeah, what we're seeing is that people are. Uh 
actually going out and kicking the tires in the opposition parties right now. It's not like they've all of a sudden abandoned the Liberal Party, those who voted for them the last time around and wouldn't consider going back. It's, but right now they're going out and they're, uh, they're, they're taking a look at the other options that are out there. And when it comes to age, the people who are actually most interested in voting for the Liberal Party right now tend to be older, which is really uncommon. Usually they do a lot better with the younger voters. So the NDP is getting a certain amount of attention from younger voters and Gen X voters, people who are you know at the early stages of the baby boom and maybe slightly older millennial voters are getting attention now from the Conservative Party that they didn't get before. Looking at your numbers, like you said, it looks like the Conservatives and the Liberals really in a statistically tied. Uh, what about the Green Party? Are they doing as expected or are they struggling at this point? Well, the Green Party is a, it's, it's always difficult to get a gauge on in the polling because they tend, yes, there's a, a certain percentage of the Canadian population that are interested in green issues uh, and see the Green Party as their vehicle. But there's a, a, also a certain number of people who vote for the Green Party simply because they're none of the above. And um, even um, when we include those none of the above type voters, the Green Party is polling at around four or five, which is below where they usually poll in election campaigns. And typically what they poll in election campaigns is higher than what they actually achieve. So um, um, the Green Party is really going through a hard time right now. And I don't know if this poll shows this, or maybe you can get this from from the other st- polls that you have done and, and from doing this for so long, but you mentioned that that vote of none, none of the above. Do you think strategic voting might play in here as well, in that, again, we've seen that this is an election that a lot of Canadians have said they didn't want. Is it possible there would be strategic voting in that uh, being a way to not reward the Liberal leader with the majority that he's clearly seeking? Absolutely there is, and we do measure it. So about 20% of the people who are voting for any party right now are doing so because they want to stop another party from winning. So the, the people who have the most incentive right now are the, the highest proportion of people who want to stop somebody from winning are people who are voting for cons- the Conservatives. So right now, the view among the electorate who are disappointed with uh, with the performance of the Liberal government and specifically the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, is that the Conservative Party is the vehicle for stopping him. Uh, so they they have the the highest percentage of people who you could describe as negative voters. Hmm. Are you surprised by anything again from from doing this before uh, several times before? Are you surprised by anything you're seeing where we are now at this point in the second week of the campaign? Yeah, I, I actually am. I'm, you, you know, the uh, the, the Liberal government uh, had months to get ready for the date that they were going to call this election campaign. They've been using all of the, the, the powers of the, of the federal government to get ready for it. There's been spending announcements everywhere, uh, initiatives announced everywhere, a new budget announced. They had everything that they could possibly use put together to, to get a great sprint off of the start from the uh, in the calling of the election, and they've had exactly the opposite happen. So given all the advantages they had, I expected that they would maybe uh, have an early lead and fade a little bit uh, as, as we got deeper into the election campaign, but they've faded really fast. In fact, they, did, they didn't really have a start. They stumbled for, out of the blocks, and, uh, and uh, the Conservatives have caught them. But also we see the NDPs moving up among progressive voters. So they're up to 21 in our polling. So the Liberals are are in real trouble at the moment. Daryl Bricker, always great to chat with you uh, about these numbers. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on, Joe. 
We are talking a little bit more about what things are going to look like starting on September 13th when people in this province attending certain social and recreational events, things deemed non-essential, will be required to have proof of vaccination. Let's bring in Walt Judas, the CEO of the BC Tourism Association. Thanks so much for being with us. Good morning, Jill. Uh, What are your thoughts on this change? Well, as we've talked about before, initially we had only been advocating for a vaccine passport to allow tourists to visit from other countries. But now that we're seeing the cases rise, not to mention there's always that lingering fear of travel restrictions again, we support the need for proof of immunization to ensure employees and guests are protected to prevent the spread of the virus and, of course, to ensure that our businesses can remain open. And when we're talking about hotels, whether it's somebody traveling within BC or from another province or from another country, then is it your understanding that uh, although there are no exemptions to this rule, that children under 12 will also will fall under that exemption as far as they are still allowed to go, say, to a sporting event or to a restaurant with fully vaccinated parents? They'll be able to also travel and go to hotels and that type of thing? Yes, it- At this point, that's the case. What do you think this will do for travel and specifically for people coming to BC, say from other provinces or other countries? Well, we know that only Quebec at this point has a similar program, but all the other provinces and territories we understand are working on a system that should be in sync or compatible with BC's system. But until then, People from other provinces will have to show proof of vaccination in whatever form to enter a sporting event, whatever is issued by that province or territory. And similarly, if you come from the United States or another country, you'll have to show the same proof of vaccination that you used to enter Canada. But I think the intent is that all of this proof of vaccination system will be compatible at some point. Do you see any issues with enforcement? And I know we've talked a lot about restaurants and what's going to be happening there, but what about hotels? And what kind of new, uh, I guess, what what will the onus be on, say, the front uh, front desk clerk or the first person, the first point of contact when somebody checks in at a hotel? Well, at this point, to my understanding, it doesn't apply at a hotel specifically. It's a lot of individual businesses, although it would apply within a restaurant by way of example. As far as enforcement is concerned, we don't want to put people on the front lines of enforcement or in a position where they're dealing with an irate customer. And as the Premier mentioned yesterday, details on what the enforcement regime will look like have yet to be announced. However, uh, I believe that most operators will make sure people know ahead of time or when they arrive on site what's required by the guest. In some respects, though, it's no different than showing ID when you're entering a nightclub, for example, or what has been the practice at restaurants until recent months, whereby customers need to sign a form with their name and telephone number before they can sit down and dine. In this case, it's a matter of showing you've been vaccinated via an app on your phone. It should be a fairly seamless process. But if somebody does become irate, there will need to be processes in place at that particular business to deal with that customer. And as I say, the enforcement regime has yet to be 
detailed by the province. Right. So, but as you see it then, as this is rolling out, or as it will come September 13th, then we could have a scenario where people could stay at a hotel not without being vaccinated, but the where it gets, where this rule will come into place will be, you can't go, say, to the hotel restaurant or to the hotel gym or uh, other other services within that complex. Correct. Yeah. And, and, you know, there are businesses that aren't included in this, such as retailers. And while some aren't included now, they may be at some point, depending on whether more measures are necessary. But I believe that many businesses who don't fall under the order will likely take it upon themselves to ask people to show proof of vaccination just as an extra precaution for their staff and obviously for other guests. Uh, do you see this? How important is it, do you think, that this has both a start date and an end date? Well, it's extremely important. We think that um, having a start date gives businesses the chance to prepare. It also allows, obviously, the technology to be unveiled and, and uh, other details that uh, still require implementing uh, by the province. So now, as an industry, we can be prepared Plus, the communication of this is so vitally important. If we're still inviting people from other provinces and the United States to visit, we want them to know what's happening in British Columbia and why. And having an end date obviously gives us something to shoot for. We want to see the cases uh, of transmission being reduced. Uh, We don't want this as a forever measure. Um, And at the same time, too, we have a We have a target whereby perhaps we can enter step four, which we know is not going to happen September 7th. But at the very least, as I say, we've got something to shoot for. Uh, Does it, do you think, get us closer to that place of re-welcoming international travellers? I know you mentioned people from the United States who, uh, at this point, even to come into Canada, they're going to be showing their vaccine, their proof of vaccine at the border. So does this kind of open it up or, or open the door to perhaps more international travel in the near or not too distant future? Ideally, yes. Uh, but at the same time, of course, we, uh, we're seeing the cases rise. The transmission rates are uh, not where we want them to be. And there are other factors that will determine when the international border can open again. We had hoped that it would be September 7th. By all accounts, it looks like that will be delayed. But at the very least, having the time now to uh, unveil this type of regime with proof of vaccination and an app, that people use to enter businesses could also help, uh, obviously, as, uh, as people try to enter the country. But uh, our hope is, is still that those international borders open sooner than later with all the health and testing protocols and proof of vaccination protocols that are needed so we can see international travel again in our province beyond the United States. All right. We will leave it there for today. Walt Judas, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jill. Jill Bennett sitting in for Simi Sarah this week. Well, the numbers released along with the vaccine certificate information yesterday show more than 1,700 new cases of COVID-19. That was over the three-day reporting period. And that's one of the reasons why these new measures are brought in to try and bring those numbers down. Well, Scott Lear is an SFU professor in the Faculty of Health Sciences, and he's joining us now. Thanks so much for being with us. 
Hi, Jeff. Thanks. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Can you talk a bit, if we look at other jurisdictions that have brought in this kind of vaccine certificate, do we see uh, data, do we see information that shows it works? Well, we definitely see in uh, some of the jurisdictions that it provides a nudge to, to get people vaccinated. And uh, early on, a few months back, we saw it in France when they implemented countrywide. And in Quebec, I believe what the day after it was announced, their number of first doses doubled over that 24-hour period. So it is providing a nudge. And that's because probably a lot of people who aren't vaccinated yet are just, it's either a complacency or convenience issue. Right. So it seems like it's and when we look at the places where people are going to need the vaccination, a lot of them are indoor places and places where you're close to people and there might be a higher risk of transmission. But it also seems that it's that issue of convenience and or I suppose inconvenience that that even if it's not that you're at a higher risk of transmission, people are going to want to go to these places. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's not that much different than when policies decades ago came in restricting smoking indoors. It actually helped to reduce smoking rates. And we'll see this will provide, if you want to participate in all the enjoyable activities we have to offer as a society, you'll need to be vaccinated. Do you see any downside to this at all with, with people digging in their heels or people responding to it in a negative way? Well, a, a potential downside is that it'll work best if it's aligned with a robust vaccination program. And we, we obviously have one of those, but there are still people in, in different communities or still people who have, are having barriers. It might be a single parent who's working two low-wage jobs, worried about taking time off and, and losing wages. It can be in a, a small town or, or community that the vaccine program hasn't got out to. So we need to make sure in order to make it um, equitable. And that's why there's a bit of a time lag to give people that chance to get there for a shot. You know, there might be uh, some people who are concerned uh, regarding, you know, we've heard this a lot about certain rights and, and so forth. But we also need to know that we measure individual rights against the rights of society as, as a whole. Um, this should likely be welcomed by many businesses because they they don't want to, just like with the mask mandate in the fall, they don't want to have a piecemeal approach to it and have to regulate it themselves. It's a lot easier to enforce if the government is telling them to do that. And I know that things have changed, and that's one of the reasons for this, that the Delta variant is different, and we're not at the place that we had hoped we would be. But do you think there's any concern there that we have seen our public officials go from the position of this isn't something we're considering to where we are now in that this is something we're doing? I think this is a good example of how the government's looking at the data and responding to it. In the past, BC has always, has, in this pandemic, has been a bit of a laggard. The mask mandate is a perfect example. And so I believe there are only three other provinces that have implemented something similar. So BC is at, at the forefront and they're responding, as you pointed out, to the increasing cases. So it's good that they're able to adapt and pivot on this. Do you think there are any issues with the the way this is being done as far as it's going to be on your phone? There are some people that don't have phones. There there will be another way to do that as well. Uh, do you think access is an issue? Uh, 
Well, access can can definitely be an issue anytime you're using technology. And even way back in in January when the online system came on, that access was a huge issue to people in their 80s in terms of, you know, having to get children or grandchildren to book their first appointment. So will be an issue. In the um, target age group that we're looking at who are probably going to participate in most of these things, granted all ages will, but for example, people in their 20s, like close to 98% of those people have smartphones. So, and there will be allowances. One concern that people might have is wanting to know how secure, and it's a, re- it's a reasonable question, how secure this system is. Uh, so we'll probably learn more details about that in the future because anytime you're, you're sharing data electronically, um, have it on your phone or things like that, there's still a, a risk of breach. All right, Scott Lear, we'll leave it there for this morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. One plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Thanks a lot, Joe. Well, what will this vaccine certificate or passport, whatever you want to call it, what will it do for the continuing recovery of the economy in this province? Let's bring on Ravi Kalan, Minister of Employment and Jobs and Economic Recovery for BC. Minister, thanks so much for being with us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Do you think this will lead to people being more comfortable going back to work or will it have an impact? Are you hoping it has an impact on the economic recovery? Well, it definitely will have an impact on people's confidence to be able to go to restaurants, go to places where there's large numbers of people gathering. Uh, We've heard uh, over the pandemic, uh, you know, there's been a lot of hesitancy and a lot of fear for people to to go into those environments, Uh, even wedding season through the summer. We heard from a lot of people saying, hey, I'm not sure if I can go. I'm not sure who's vaccinated, who's not. And we heard from businesses and employers that uh, that they're hearing that from their customers. So we think that, uh, you know, the announcement yesterday will 
uh, help ease uh, a lot of the anxieties that people had to visit a lot of our establishments. Because I'm sure you're aware of this, and as people know, even anecdotally, walking down the street, there are help-wanted signs everywhere. It appears that everybody, from smaller businesses to restaurants, are hiring. So how do we deal with that? Well, we're the only province in the country that has more jobs right now than we did prior to the pandemic, which is quite remarkable, but it also means that we're going to have challenges. We're going to have challenges to find the uh, the workers that we need uh, to fill those positions. Uh, there's uh, three kind of main things that we're working on. One, of course, is uh, skills and reskilling and upskilling our workers. Uh, we've announced just uh, last week, I think, with $95 million to help train more people to take up those jobs. Of course, the childcare announcement is big. We know that's going to have a real impact. But, of course, that's going to come over time. And lastly, of course, working with the federal government on immigration, uh, we know we need people uh, to come here and, and take up some of the jobs that we can't get filled by folks who live here. Is there still a bit of a disconnect, though? I get what you're saying, that we've seen this this a comeback of, of people working. We've seen the lowest unemployment rate in Canada. But what about if we also factor in people who have stopped looking for work, people who aren't being counted in that number? Well, we still need the country, uh, even with that. But there are, you're correct, there are some people who have uh, stopped looking. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of folks who haven't worked through the pandemic we're really afraid, uh, afraid to come back into working in environments where there are, um, you know, a lot of people gathering and they haven't done that through the pandemic. Maybe they're more vulnerable. Uh, and so measures like this will help ease uh, some of those fears. And uh, we hope uh, urge people to bring come back and join the uh, workforce. Do you see it being, though, so would we be in a scenario where a business owner, if somebody has offered their job back and they've been, like you said, maybe afraid, maybe it's a job where you are in group settings, they've been afraid to come back for whatever reason. If we get to the place where an employer can now say, well, you don't have to be afraid because not only is everybody who works here vaccinated, everybody who comes here will be vaccinated as well. Can somebody then, uh, not ordered, but it almost does seem that somebody then, if you've got no other reason somebody could be ordered you must come back to work now well it's uh it's it's not always the same scenario for every uh, worker and every uh work situation uh we know just recently uh the banks across the country just announced their own uh vaccine passports for their employees uh and so we'll see how that plays but uh every uh, worker is different in every situation uh, we have people who work in the hospitality industry or tourism industry uh, who haven't worked in a while and now they're like well we're going to have tourists come in and how how does that work and so uh, this is going to take a little bit of time um, but uh, over time I hope more people get comfortable and enter the workforce and of course that's what the scaling and reskilling is for there's people who have left and decided hey I don't want to be in the uh, sector that I was working in. I want to try something different. I think I could do more. And we want to provide them the opportunities to do what they think that they can do well in. Has there been a decision made on the public sector on a lot of people saying, if the province is really serious about this, you should be leading by example. And if you're calling people back to work at the province, if you're calling people back to the legislature, there should be mandatory vaccination there as well. Uh, well, the legislature uh, is controlled by the uh, the Speaker of the House and, and, uh, and the, um, uh, the, uh, the committee that oversees it. Uh, I certainly hope they consider that, but uh, I don't have a direct say in that. 
but, you know, there are, um, uh, as Dr. Henry highlighted yesterday, the sectors that we focused on are the highest risk. So we have taken those steps in healthcare situations, uh, in long-term care situations where employees of the government are now required to be vaccinated. And of course, uh, as the information evolves, uh, they've made it clear that they're willing to look at other scenarios as well, but they've started where the highest risk is. Uh, you mentioned childcare being a main issue. Obviously, housing is a big issue as well. Are you hearing anything on the federal campaign trail uh, that you think will benefit BC or that's giving you some reason to think that we might see movement on those uh, on those fronts? Um, I, you know, to be honest, I've been so busy with dealing with the pandemic. I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to the different uh, platform pieces that the the federal parties have been laying out. Uh, we know, uh, and you've highlighted, that housing, childcare, and healthcare continue to be very important issues that people consistently raise. Uh, we, the premier, said from day one of the pandemic that uh, uh, a healthy population and a healthy economy go hand in hand, and so certainly hoping um, whichever party forms government after this election that they put a priority on those things because we need it. All right. We will leave it there for today. Uh, Ravi Kalan, thanks so much for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Take care. Well, we have a better idea on what the vaccine certificate is going to look like in this province. Still waiting for the actual website to be up and running for people to go onto that government website if you are vaccinated and you want to get that proof and go to the different venues that were announced and specified yesterday. But we do know that both indoor and outdoor dining at restaurants is included and a lot of reaction is coming in to that. So let's bring back Mornings with Simi contributor Raji Sohal to talk more about this. Hey, good morning again to you. Hi, Jill. I know personally that going to a restaurant and knowing that other people there have been vaccinated makes me feel a lot safer, a lot calmer, a lot more likely to enjoy my experience at a restaurant. But I was curious how this news fell on actual restauranters and their staff. And, you know, people I talked to told me that they're not ready to take this on, that it's so the news is hard. They never expected that this, if, frankly, huge responsibility was going to fall on their shoulders. And they also told me that it's really hard to talk to staff about this, the staff who are going to be on the actual front lines, you know, your servers, uh, the people who will greet you at a restaurant, and I, I'm guessing be the ones to ask for that certification. Of course, some people are going to hand it over very easily and be excited about the fact that everyone else there is also fully vaccinated. But then there's going to be the naysayers. Um, some videos have come out on social media of how this kind of um, requirement has gone over in uh, Ontario, um, asking people to show uh, certification or asking people to, you know, even mask in some in some cases, we've seen a lot of uh, aggression there around that. Um, but one restaurateur told me he doesn't want to manage the pandemic for the greater good. He said he wanted to make incredible food and serve it to Vancouverites and focus on the, the experience of being in a restaurant and making that enjoyable again. I've wanted to support local businesses myself throughout the pandemic. And we know that when you go to a restaurant, you're not just going to fill your belly for the most part. <laughs> like you're also going to just enjoy that whole experience that somebody else serves you, that there's music playing, you know. And I feel like restaurants can't really focus on that these days. 
Well, the announcement has landed like a shock on chef and restaurateur Andrea Carlson. She owns uh, Burdock & Co. Uh, it causes so much anxiety, to be honest. You know, if it's mandated, you have no choice. But when I first thought about it being a voluntary situation, I just thought, you know, we're not going to do it. Why should we have to take that on? It's not fair to the staff who are on the front line having to deal with people who are going to be hostile. The most recent thing I thought is, gee, are we going to have to hire a bouncer? Like, actually, because I don't want to put our staff through having to deal with people who are going to be hostile to them. And, you know, if it is, if in the, the best version of ourselves as a community, everyone shows up with their vaccine passport on their phone and it gets scanned and there's no problem. And everything's peaceful, but there are always people who are going to be wanting to make a point uh, and sometimes quite aggressively. And that is where we're going to run into issues. What would you like to see happen instead? Oh, (laughs) Um, I would like to see people, you know, voluntarily get vaccinated. I don't think it's fair for the government to put this on us. I really don't. I believe in in. Uh, the vaccination with our staff being double vaccinated, that puts them in uh, the safest possible situation that they can be in. And we do still ask people to wear masks when they're not at the table. So we will continue to do that. For me, this is the best, the best or the best way for us to be managing it is for our staff to be masked, for guests to be masked when they're not at the table. And I think that is pretty much where I'm comfortable I don't like the idea that we should have to be putting ourselves in a a confrontational situation by, you know, basically demanding on behalf of the government that people have their vaccines and that they have to prove it to us before they can come in. Interesting. I liked her comment, or I think probably others would agree with her. Her first thought, do we need to hire a bouncer? Because it's generally Mm -hmm. not... Uh, the host or hostess or whoever the person is at the front of the house who's checking ID. You might be taking a number or a name down for a reservation, but it's not as though you're trained to check the ID, make sure it's legit, make sure it's authentic before you let someone in. Yeah. And I'm just thinking of a lot of places that I have been to in the last several months have new staff at restaurants because we've been hearing about the labor shortage affecting restaurants big time. And sometimes that staff might be young and maybe not the most assertive. I actually interfered uh, recently when someone was asked to put on a mask and before entering a restaurant and they said no. And I just asked this person to this patron, like, come on, give the server a break you know, that this is not part, shouldn't be part of their job. It's so hard, Jill, because uh, there's restaurants are, they're in the service industry, right? They're not gyms. They're supposed to make your experience nice. You're supposed to have an enjoyable time, having your meal with friends, whatever. Um, Like, I feel like other places, it will be easier to mandate this where, you know, you're entering a gym and you're just asked straight up if someone refuses, end of story. I feel like people are going to push um, those at the restaurant uh, to oblige them in some way or another, which uh, gives me a little bit of anxiety, quite frankly. Like we really need to be offering some grace for restaurant owners and staff these days. Yeah, I think a lot would definitely agree with that. We'll leave it there. Raji, thank you so much. Thanks, Jill. Jill Bennett sitting in for Simi Sarah this week. We've been talking a lot about the vaccination certificate that is going to be in place in this province starting September 13th and the impact it could potentially have on restaurants. Well, Miru Dalwala is a co-owner of Vidge's restaurant in Vancouver and is on the line with us now. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Hi, Jill. You're welcome. We've been talking to you throughout this pandemic. So before we get into the nitty gritty of the vaccine certificate, how are things going right now? Well, it's just been up and down. And I know people are probably getting tired of hearing us restaurateurs uh, whine and complain, but it's all legitimate. So we had been, um, you know, closed down at the, you know, initially in March 2020. Then we reopened for a while. Then we were closed down again with, um, you know, new regulations and we reopened. Now, uh, this summer, um, we were reopened more or less, but the staffing has been such an issue because a lot of people, I think, just don't have the faith in jobs in the restaurant industry anymore. And so um, our front of the house, kitchen, thank goodness, is fine. But the front of the house, it's been really difficult to find the staff. And um, it just... So we're a very safe restaurant at Vigil because we can't put any more tables together. We don't have enough staff for it right now. Hmm. Why do you think there's that split between front of the house and kitchen? I don't think it is for a lot of the restaurants, just for Vigil's restaurant. Um, my kitchen staff, we've, uh, you know, thankfully, I've had no turnover. And so a lot of, most of my uh, cooks in the kitchen, in our kitchen, you know, have been working for us 25 years, 26 years. And so it's just a different culture in the kitchen. So, um, you know, we're, we're set there. So the food's all good. It's for us, it's more front of the house. And frankly speaking, you know, um, going back to the the vaccination card, um, I think it's going to be helpful for us if we can also have a reliable source of clientele coming in. Right. That makes sense for sure. And then you'll, you get to know people and you can recognize people. Uh, Right. And, and then staff comes back too. When they know there's a reliable source of revenue, staff also comes back. Do you anticipate there being some, I guess, bumps in the road when this starts up as far as staff now having to ask people to show their vaccination, the certificate on their phone? You know what, Jill, I think there's always there's, there are always bumps in the road in the restaurant industry. Um, we've had bumps in the road with, you know, people coming in, not wearing a mask and then, you know, us having to explain or just nudge them into wearing a mask. Um, there's always bumps in the road, but I do think the vaccine certificate is going to actually calm way more people down than it's going to incite people. Hopefully that uh, that would be a very good scenario or to see yeah. things unfold that way. Uh, yeah. Do you have to train people or, or will it be a certain level of, yes, you're going to look at the, the vaccine code on the phone. And I suppose if somebody doesn't have a phone, we were told there'll be a, a paper and ID. Yeah. Is it, yeah. There's got to be a certain level of, of a leap of faith, though. It's not like you're going to be pulling out the magnifying glass and making sure that it's legit. Well, we won't be able to pull out the magnifying glass necessarily, you know, on a Saturday or a Friday night. But, you know, our GM, our host, um, our seasoned staff, they have a really good feel for just, you know, we can read energy of people. We have a really good feel for it. Um, And so I think for the most part, you know what, luckily we are in Vancouver as well. And so I think most Vancouverites are going to, are going to follow this. I mean, we're social beings. I think people understand for a restaurant, we are choosing to go into a social environment. It's a privilege more or less, right? We're going to a restaurant to enjoy ourselves. Sure. Is it one more step for our staff, for the customer? Yes, it is. But at the same time, at least for, you know, for the restaurant industry, we can't afford to be shut down again. No, exactly. Because of COVID closures, you know, come autumn, you know, September is coming. It's something we can do. We just, the last thing we need right now is fear amongst our customers or closing down again because of COVID. I mean, we've worked so we haven't had any staff outbreaks, any customer outbreaks. 
It's like we're almost pulling through it, and this is the last final step, I believe, just for us to get through it. Um, we'll probably have to hire another person just to make sure that people, I think people might get more frustrated with yet another line, mm-hmm. right? Oh, mm-hmm. my God, now we got to wait just an extra minute. It's just, I think it'll be more frustration of having to wait a little bit longer to get into a restaurant um, than the actual card itself. Right. I was thinking that too, and that it'll probably not have a huge impact on things like a concert or anywhere, say even a, a movie theater where you're presenting a ticket because you can present yeah. it along with your ticket. But I was thinking that too, if somebody walks up and sees a, a giant lineup because of the checking of the vaccine right. certificate, it might be a deterrent for people. It's, well, yeah, but most people do um, reservations nowadays anyways, just to make right. sure they don't have to wait. They're, the whole culture of, hey, let's just walk to a restaurant and walk in and wait in a lounge. That kind of died a little bit. You know, that pretty much died um, over COVID. So we don't know what it's going to be like and when post-COVID is going to happen. But, yeah, it'll just be a little bit of a wait, um, I believe. But, you know, again, we'll see how it works out. When it's voluntary, like ever since it has been said masks are recommended, that's more difficult for us to implement, wearing masks, than the government is saying we must do something. That way... What ends up happening is the few people who don't want to do it, they don't get mad at us. And so that just makes our job a little bit easier to say, look, we are just implementing government regulations. We don't wish to shut down, and so we are implementing government regulations. And because we support these regulations, it makes it easier for us. Um, Just a little um, background uh, bit. So at Viges, we are 100% vaccinated, front staff and back staff, but it was never even a discussion. It wasn't like we had to force anybody or talk to anybody. Um, we even had a vote amongst the staff. What are we going to do if somebody starts working, but the, you know they're you know they're against the vaccine? So if I think you know I think the staff sometimes represents the community, and so I'm not anticipating a big problem. That that is good, and like you said too, would it make it easier if along with this vaccination certificate, they brought back the mandatory, uh, except for when you're seated at your table, wear a mask? But you know what? If the numbers keep going high, um, I would recommend that because anything that brings more customers into a restaurant and the customers are feeling safe. I mean, we, we, wearing a mask is not new for us anymore. If anybody is going to talk about, oh, my goodness, it's such a pain to wear a mask, we've been doing it for a long time now. So most of us just keep it in our back pocket, you know, in that, in that you know, handbag of ours. And so, again, if the cases are going to go up, well, why do we not want to wear a mask? No, and I think that's a question a lot of people are asking. I did want to ask you about patios, and I know you were one of the restaurants that expanded onto the street initially when the yeah. patio expansions took mm-hmm. place, because I think that might be the one place, too, where people might question why, they're, why they have to show a certificate if they're sitting outside and if they're sitting on the street. I know you don't have that, that space anymore, you know, and your patio is yeah. kind of more enclosed, but, but do you think that there will be questions about patio space? Yes, yes, because patio, it'll, I think it'll depend on the patio. So we have a rooftop patio, and so we just didn't see the point of why do you want a street with a bunch of busy cars if you've got a rooftop? Um, I, I think the reason behind the patio move is some patios are more open than others, right? right. I mean, a lot of patios, if you go to the back of a restaurant, they're pretty enclosed. Um, they're considered a patio. But nevertheless, even, you know, I'll go in sometimes, you know, like my daughter is way younger than I am, you know, she's 22. 
And all said, hmm, is that a patio or is it really just another form of indoor dining? Right? So I think that's what it is. Um, the way I see it, you know, I'm 56 years old. I've been running business restaurant and other restaurants for 26 years. Um, we, we enjoy the city. And I just think that right now we're, I'm hoping we're kind of getting towards the end. We're kind of getting into a groove of managing the pandemic. I just don't see what the point is right now in creating a big fuss over things we've more or less been doing for the past 17, 18 months. Yes, the vaccine card is new, and we don't know how temporary that's going to be. I think it's until at least, uh, what, January 2022. Mm -hmm. Um, At some point, you know, it's a privilege to be social in a society. And uh, this is just a little bit that we're having to do here um, compared to a lot of, again, you know, I hated it when my mom and dad did this to me when I was (laughs) younger, but people in the rest of the world have it so much more difficult than we do. That's very, that is a very good point. Uh, Miru, we'll leave it there for today, but as always, thank you so much for making the time for us. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Jill.